are entering the Freedom Hut. The government shutdown approaches. Trump has drawn a line in the sand. The Democrats are freaking out about the departure of Mattis, and a lot of Republicans are too, plus a Supreme Court decision that will make securing the border harder in the short term. But a U.S. agreement with Mexico may actually help things out. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So uh, we are going to be working very hard to get something passed in the Senate. There's a very good chance it won't get passed. It's up to the Democrats. So it's really the Democrat shutdown because we've done our thing. When Nancy Pelosi said you'll never get the votes in the House, we got them and we got them by a big margin, 217 to 185. So now it's up to the Democrats as to whether or not we have a shutdown tonight. I hope we don't. But. We're totally prepared for a very long shutdown. And this is our only chance that we'll ever have. Looks like we're heading for a shutdown, everybody. Looks like that's where this is all going. And the president says it's going to be a long one. And I've got to tell you, that seems like a pretty safe prediction right now. Because this is it. I mean, this is a lot of the Trump movement On the line, a lot of what the president promised in the campaign, a lot of what he has been repeatedly saying he will achieve well after the campaign was over, it it all comes down to what happens now. Note how, what, last week, Nancy Pelosi was saying, you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes. Oh, but it turns out we do have the votes, Nancy. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody, but... Nancy Pelosi was just making stuff up. Now that we look back at that meeting, who seems like they were more in command of reality? Schumer Pelosi or Trump? And now we're going to get into this fight over who is responsible for the shutdown when this is really a a, a construct that we shouldn't fall into. The The House and the Senate are majority Republican right now. The House of Representatives has put forward a bill. The bill says, this is what we'd like. We'd like some funding. We want the funding for this. If Democrats won't go along, if they're insisting that you need 60 votes to do a minor budgetary measure, then that's on them. Now, I know President Trump said, oh, I know I'm the one who's shutting down the government, but I disagree with his, I disagree with his framing of the issue. And he disagrees with it now because he's saying the Democrats are the ones who would be shutting the government down. Um, but this, this blame game doesn't really tell us anything. All that matters here is an understanding of what the two sides stand for and what happens if the GOP caves. And, and I've been worried all along they're going to cave. And I'm worried that they may cave even after the government shuts down. You will see all these stories about uh, the hardship of federal government employees now that they're not getting their paychecks on time. You'll see a lot of uh, of media that would usually be pretty quiet over the Christmas holiday that will be coming out and just telling stories about how how horrible it is that this this one family couldn't go to a national park or they couldn't do 
they'll find all these different things and try to increase public pressure. Trump and those who believe in funding a wall are going to have to go forward and go out in, in public and Trump will probably be down in Mar-a-Lago when this is happening and say, look, there's a reason why the government has shut down. It's because Democrats refuse to give $5 billion to the president and his party to increase border security. We'll get later into this. It was actually a really good moment with Stephen Miller on CNN. But how exactly do Democrats want better border security? Just we will return to that issue later in the show. But just think about that for a moment. If you were on the spot, if somebody was saying to you, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can tell me, you know, what the Democrats have really done on border security that would be considered uh Hawkish, you know, security at the border really matters to them because, and they took the following steps. You know, what would come to mind if somebody, if, if someone were to make you that wager? I, I, it's kind of tough. I, I don't know if I'd be able to collect. Democrats are up against the wall on this one. Pun intended. There's no way for them to escape as long as we keep the pressure on and the discussion focused where it should be. They say that there's no need for a wall. I say that the head of Border Patrol, the head of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, every Border Patrol agent I've ever talked to, video that we've seen in recent weeks of the caravan in the San Diego sector stopped by a barrier, all of that tells me that, yes, it would be a piecemeal process. Yes, it would take a lot of time, but walled areas are more secure than non-walled areas. You know, people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to invest in ladders. The ladder will get us over the wall. Okay, um, you're going to need a pretty big ladder. You're going to you're gonna have to move it a pretty long distance. And how do you get down the other side again? I mean, really, if people are going to play this game. I had someone tell me today, well, you know, human trafficking involves a lot of tunnels under the border. And I say to that, okay, so does that mean that we just give up? Because people can tunnel under, because people tunnel under the the border even without a wall there. Does that mean that we say, oh, it's not worth trying to trying to stop this anymore? And they can just tunnel. I mean, why even have border patrol above ground? I guess we should only have border patrol in tunnels. The 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 fundamental difference here is is one side willing to take action to stop this continued slow burn, illegal immigration invasion. Is is one side willing to do something about that? Yes or no? Because we know the Democrats are not. We know they have no interest in stopping this. They don't care about the 73,000 people that died last year from opioid overdoses. They don't care about the increasing power and violence of the cartels south of our border. What that does, think of what that does to Mexico. 34,000 people were murdered, I think it was 34, might have been 37, in 2017. It was over 30,000 murders. Uh, Massive amounts of lawlessness, criminality, kidnapping, all attributable to the cartels. And their primary market, not their only market, but their primary market is right here. And by far the number one way that they get access into this market is across the southern border. That is how they do it. So there are a lot of reasons, a lot of incentives that we should all agree on to take decisive action where we can on this issue 
And if that means we go to a shutdown, then darn it, we go into a shutdown. 85% of the government continues as is. 85% of the government isn't going to change one bit because of this. This is about forcing a national debate. You know, Democrats won't give Trump the wall. I thought elections were supposed to have consequences. Now, Trump has said that Mitch McConnell should use the nuclear option. I do not believe that Mitch McConnell will do that. I think Mitch McConnell is too much of an institutionalist. I think that he's quite happy, unlike Paul Ryan, who is now leaving with a legacy of, wow, great job you did cutting the debt and the deficit there, buddy. Uh, Mitch McConnell knows that he will be able to point justifiably to numerous federal judges, Supreme Court judges, you know, a whole slew of conservative victories on the judiciary that are the result of Mitch McConnell making the Democrats live by their own rules and live by them long and hard. So, you know, Mitch Mitch is going to be taking a victory lap no matter what at the end of all this. I don't think he's willing to go with the nuclear option, but... What is this What is this uh, notion that because the Senate comes up with artificial rules, there's no constitutional constraint that you have to have 60 votes to get a, a budgetary measure through? You need 60 votes or else, or else the minority can stop this? No, 51 votes for the budget should be enough. Remember how the Democrats played it on Obamacare. They rammed it through, party line, didn't care. Yeah. A lot of things are criticized about Democrats, but their lust for power is impressive. And their willingness to just ram down the opposition's throats, whatever big government monstrosity they can concoct, you know, that you almost have to respect it. You know, it's, uh, it's a pretty remarkable thing that they pull off. So a shutdown is where we're heading here, which also means, unfortunately, I was kind of looking forward to, you know, this is our, my, my last... I know I'm going to get all a little teary-eyed here. It's my last live show with you all for 2018 because I'm taking next week off. I'll be back right after New Year's and I'm not taking off any vacations, not planning any vacations after that. But this is my last one for um, 2018. And I have a feeling that my initial plan of kicking back and not having to look at Twitter and all the different news sites and, and be managing my four or five or whatever it is, different email accounts and looking. I had this whole vision of me just drinking tea, hanging out with my family in New York, hanging out with Miss Molly down here in D.C. And, and now I think that we're going to be in the shutdown showdown. The shutdown showdown, which is going to mean that a lot of people are going to be paying attention to this stuff. It's not going to be quite as jolly. A, uh, it's not going to be quite the holly jolly. Isn't that what it is? Holly jolly Christmas, right? Yeah. Not a, it's not a molly jolly Christmas, although that's what's on my mind. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a different a different Christmas than I think a lot of people had anticipated because of this of this shutdown. But we might as well, you know, we should have had this fight a year. Uh, well, last February, I think it was. We should have had the fight then. Should have gone for it then. But it's not too late. After this, it is too late. Now, if, if you push it beyond beyond this fight, and I, you know, I, I think you know Democrats. People that are making such a big deal about 2020, I would note, eh, I think that people are going to forget. Now, this is a question of, can you can the Democrats be forced to bend the knee here? One side is going to have to blink. I worry that it will be the Republicans. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, or the, the most likely outcome here is some kind of a financial half measure where they will agree 
Democrats and Republicans will agree after a, you know a week of shutdown that there can be an additional uh, you know auxiliary border funds, but it can't be used explicitly for a new fence. It could be used for, and they'll kind of come up with some you know wishy-washy middle pathway that lets everybody go home for the holidays. That's what I think is most likely to happen here. But maybe not. Maybe not. Trump got a wake-up call. He got a wake-up call from a lot of people this week that have really supported him, that have been there for him through uh, the unfair attacks on him and a lot of fair attacks on him. And a lot of stuff that people say about Trump, I'm like, well, that's kind of true, but you know, I still like the agenda and I'm still for the, the trajectory of the government that he is pushing. Um, doesn't mean that everything, every uh, every tweet, every every joke, every policy decision he makes, I'm for. As you know, I was very unhappy with him earlier this week, and and I'm I, I'm 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 very unhappy with the fact that we didn't repeal and replace Obamacare. But I guess people just don't want to hear that from me. These are central promises, you know. If if we're just going to argue over the size of the social democrat welfare state in this country, you know. I'll I'll do I'll spend more time doing history shows. You know what I mean? I mean, if we're really not going to get these policies implemented that we've worked so hard as a conservative movement in this country to to get to put ourselves in a position at least to to get, then what is the point of it all? Um, you know, now I'm starting to feel a little bit like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day when he's like thousands of people gathered together to worship a rat. <laughs> he's he's a little. He gets a little down, if you remember. It's a great movie. I really enjoy that one. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground today on the show. More on the border, more on Madison, the uh, the Syria withdrawal, the possible withdrawal from Afghanistan. Third hour, I'm just going to have some thoughts about 2018. Then, of course, I'm going to have to tell you at the end of today's show, because it'll be the last one before Christmas and my birthday, um, how wonderful all of you are, how much I appreciate each and every person listening to this across the country who listens. It means a tremendous amount to me. I don't want to get all weepy at the start of the show, because... I have to get through the whole show, but we'll we'll talk more about that in the third hour. And, and a quick apology because I thought we were going to be able to do open lines for the whole show. Turns out because of the holiday schedule, we are de- uh, producer Mike had to go uh, for family reasons, had to travel. So we are down a man, which means we don't have somebody on the phone lines tonight. I'm sorry to say um, I didn't mean to. I did fake news, Buck. Uh, I didn't mean to uh, make a promise that I couldn't keep on that one, but it turns out I was I was wrong yesterday. Uh, that all said, we have a fantastic show. You can always write to me on Facebook and tell me your thoughts there. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And we might even work in some, some, uh, cheesy Christmas music at the end. So stay with me. The president is making decisions without counsel, without preparation, and even without communication between relevant departments and relevant agencies. All of this turmoil is causing chaos in the markets, chaos abroad, and it's making the United States less prosperous and less secure. Less secure. Everything is Trump's fault, you see. Schumer just wants you to know that everything bad that happens, you can blame on Trump. Meanwhile, the Senate is, according to Fox here, scrambling to take up a spending package with billions in funding for a border wall. Amid ongoing negotiations to fund the government by midnight, as President Trump acknowledged, there's a good chance a partial government shutdown will be triggered. 
After keeping the final vote open for five hours to secure enough support, the Senate finally advanced a House-approved spending bill with $5.7 billion for a border wall with Vice President Mike Pence breaking a tie. That procedural hurdle paves the way for a final vote in the Senate. If Congress doesn't pass a spending bill by midnight tonight, uh-oh, a partial government shutdown will be triggered. Oh no, what are we going to do? It's all going to be okay. Buck is here to tell you. Now, you already know that. It's all going to be fine. People make such a big deal out of this. They also act like Evan's going to remember. I wonder if you could go for you know, if you if you had a time machine, it'd be fun in 2020 say, "Hey, remember that shutdown? It was terrible, wasn't it? It was horrible what happened." Everyone's going to say, "What? What shutdown?" What matters here is do you get a wall or not? Uh, you know, Mitch isn't going to go nuclear option even though that would be fun. That would be fun. Oh man, the Democrats would lose their minds over that one. Um, Trump has to keep this promise. There's no way for him to keep faith with his base without keeping this promise. Although uh, there's a lot, it could be a lot of unhappy people that are going to have to work here in, in D.C. and uh, a, lot, a lot of journos. Me, I guess, I'm not a journo, but among the folks that are going to have to spend more time thinking about this than they had anticipated, than they had planned. And I was really just hoping the next week was going to be mellow. I know, I'm going to stop whining about it. We have a lot to get into. There's actually a big uh, decision from the Supreme Court. It's, it's not a full opinion, but there's a, uh, there's a decision that came down from the Supreme Court about whether they would give a stay on a lower court decision because of the imminent harm that the government would suffer if they did not. Turns out it didn't go our way. We'll get into that. And then also an agreement that the Trump administration has claimed to get with Mexico that could really be helpful at the border. And it's taking a page from the book of Buck because it's exactly what I said they should have done about a month or so ago. So it's not, it's nice. I got the president listening to me, maybe, which is nice. And then we're going to get into some Christmas thoughts later on the show. John's going to tell you about all the amazing things he's planned. I was going to ask producer Mike about his gifts and what he was planning. Because producer Mike has to send gifts for the many ladies in his life. But he's on the road somewhere now. So we we miss him, but he will be back soon. And uh, I want to get into that decision and then lean into the third hour of the show tonight, which is just going to be year in review, year going forward and... My thoughts about how amazing, wonderful, brilliant, patriotic, and good-looking all of you listening to this show are. One thing that I, I think has been missed and didn't get a lot of coverage yesterday was what we have worked out, what this administration has been able to do in conjunction with the Mexican government and right. the massive and monumental moment that took place yesterday where catch and release has ended. And it's a sad day in America when the Mexican government is doing more to protect the American people than Senate Democrats. I hope that they will not let that be the case by the end of the day and they will work with us and work with the president and Senate Republicans to get this done and let everybody go right. home and let us start building the wall and let us start protecting our border. Well, uh, we have heard a lot. Okay, of so so she's talking about something very specific that you're not hearing a lot from the media on this one. They're not really talking about it, but you know, Mexico has uh, a- agreed right now. The administration has uh, worked out with Mexico that asylum seekers are to be sent back to Mexico for the duration of immigration proceedings. As I said to you, a refugee is somebody who applies from outside the country. An asylum seeker is somebody who wants protection from inside the country. And the Mexican, uh, the Mexican government now will have with us 
what they call a third-party safe agreement. I believe you have heard about that. Uh, You have heard about that on this show because I told you that's what the administration should do. It is what we have with Canada. This is a way to fix the problem. Okay, you come to the border. There will be a place, a, uh, a, a waiting area, waiting zone, whatever you want to call it, waiting camp where you, you know, are, are, are going to be placed while they process your immigration claim. They're not going to allow people to come into the country, though, uh, and then s- supposedly show up for a hearing in a few years. And then if they don't get status, supposedly get deported. Because everyone knows that that's where this whole thing falls apart. That's where there is no honesty about the process from the Democrats. So this is a pretty a pretty big win. This is uh, what CNN reported on earlier today. Homeland Security Secretary Nielsen announced that the United States has told Mexico that entering uh, individuals entering the U.S. illegally or without proper documentation and seeking asylum will be sent to Mexico to wait for the duration of their U.S. immigration proceedings. According to the Department of Homeland Security, individuals entering illegally or without proper documentation trying to enter the U.S. to claim asylum will no longer be released into our country where they can often disappear before a court can determine their claims merits. They will instead be processed by DHS and given a notice to appear for their immigration hearing Asylum seekers from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador must wait outside the United States until their immigration proceedings are concluded, according to a Department of Homeland Security official. Uh, the migrant protection protocols is what they're calling them. It's going to be phased, uh, phased in along our southwest border. And uh, asylum seekers from northern triangle countries will be returned to Mexico and given a notice to appear in court and will be allowed back in for the hearing. Now, this is a humanitarian measure, DHS is saying. It'll free up border personnel, essentially. All right, you're going to get your day in court, but the scam ends. That's what this is saying. The scam is supposed to end. Um, and, and I think that that's, this is what I've been saying all, all along. Um, you know, this is, this is what I've been, I've been saying should be done. Um, meanwhile... We got just another unbelievable Roberts Supreme Court turncoat moment today. This just came in this afternoon where they will not put a stay on uh, they will not put a stay on the court ruling that went against the Trump administration that changes who can claim asylum here. This is from. The uh, SCOTUS blog just now. Uh, The justice turned down the government's request, which means that the government will not be able to enforce its new policy on asylum while the government appeals to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. And if it comes to that, the Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roberts provided the deciding vote as four justices, Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh, indicated that they would have granted the government's application. So the Trump administration back in early November said it had a new asylum policy because under the previous rules instituted by the Obama administration, uh, an immigrant was allowed to stay in the country because she, you know, because that immigrant said that they'd be persecuted no matter how they got here. But under the new policy, if you came in illegally, you would be ineligible for asylum. Well, it turns out that 
The Supreme Court, by a 5-4 decision, thanks Roberts, the libs plus Roberts, said, no, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to, under executive authority, claim that if you have broken the law to come into the country, you can't then claim asylum. So, you know, how does this now interact with this new policy? You know, what this seems to do to me, uh, from, from what I can tell, is you want to try to come into America illegally now because you can still claim asylum, still go through the asylum process, but you'll be in the U.S. interior, whereas if you show up at a port of entry and say, hey, I'd like to claim asylum, they'll say, oh, great, thanks. Go back to Mexico and come back when your court date is. So all this means is that the government hasn't won right away, um, but you'll have to see as it makes its way into the courts. Uh, It's going to make its way all the way up. But, you know, this, this is just another example of the judiciary, just like the Department of Justice, just like the media, just like college campuses, the judiciary is decidedly skewed against conservatives and against the faithful execution of the law when it comes to immigration. Somehow, all these judges seem to do is come up with lots and lots of new reasons why we can't have an orderly immigration system. We can't enforce the laws in the books. We can't prevent lawbreaking. If there's a loophole, the loophole has to stay. If there are, uh, you know, shortfalls in existing immigration law that can favor people who are being unscrupulous, who are committing fraud against the United States, who are lying, it has to stay. So this is also why we can't rely on executive authority because the Obama was able to rely on it in a number of cases, knowing that most of the judiciary was going to be with him on this stuff. The Trump administration has an incredibly hostile judiciary to deal with. And that means that any executive order they want to take, whether it's on immigration or it's on building the wall or anything, you know it's going to get challenged. The Ninth Circuit's going to shut it down. And, And they're still going to call Trump a dictator. It is a pretty remarkable state of affairs when any Ninth Circuit judge in the country can effectively tell the President of the United States, you can't do that. And Trump goes, okay, well, we'll take this to court. And everyone's saying, Trump is a dictator. Pretty sure dictators don't allow any of hundreds of federal federal judges to shut down their authority on any matter whenever they want, which is what we've seen with Trump so far, because he is respecting the system as messed up as the system often is. The destruction of our immigration system. They want to end immigration to the United States. And that is a step that we will never enter into. That's just a step we're not going to take. Congressman Luis Gutierrez, as always, thank you for being here. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, there are limits here, folks. Congressman Gutierrez, they want to end immigration? How can a member of Congress... I noticed Chris Hayes. Thank you very much, Congressman. (laughs) Give me a break. They want to end immigration. They just want to control illegal crossings at the southern border. How does that mean they want to end immigration? We are, you know, they leave all the context out of this discussion. They're so dishonest about all of this. They just say things like, like that, that they want to end all immigration. You say to yourself, well, hold on a second. America takes in a million people every year and makes them either a permanent resident or a citizen. A million That is a major U.S. city's worth of immigrants every year through the legal system. 
We have a half a million visa overstays who are then illegal in this country every year. And that has nothing to do with coming across the border illegally because they all came legally. Then they just stayed until they were illegal. And then you add to that the number of illegal immigrants, both in the country and coming into the country all the time. And the truth is we don't even know how many of them there are. We don't know. This is like saying, you know, we know how many illegal drugs are coming to the country. They can guess, but they don't know because they're sneaking them in. How can they, how can they just say things that are so stupid and have people believe them? How can they say things that are so patently false and not get called out? It's because the media is completely in bed with them. They are all in favor of this. They are, you know, hoping that America will become a different country through the immigration process, through mass immigration that is bringing about tremendous changes. I mean, when you think about how many people have come into this country in the last 30 years, you know, we, we are demographically shifting rapidly. And people say, oh, Buck, well, do you have a problem with that? Well, when, when you have assimilation as a process that both takes time and also involves people coming in at an orderly process in a way that the overall society can adequately bring them into the society, it is possible to overwhelm that, both from a, a, a political, legal, and a cultural sense. I've had to say this to people, you know, Germany brought in a million, a million migrants in one year from the Middle East and South Asia and some from North Africa, I think, too. But a million Muslim migrants, essentially, in one year back in 2016, a million. You say, well, Buck, you know, Germany is a country of, I can't, off the top of my head, I don't know, 60, 70 million people, something like that. You know, Germany's a big country. They can, they can handle that. I say, all right, you know, there's a whole discussion to be had there, but what about a million people in Belgium? Does that, is Belgium still Belgium if they bring in a, a million Afghan, Iraqi, and Syrian refugees? Okay, what about two million? Does it still feel like the same country? Do they have the same respect for rule of law, the same cultural traditions, same language, same shared national heritage? Right? I mean, America is an idea, but it's an idea that we all have to buy into, right? It's not skin color. It's not ethnicity-based, but it is an idea. And if you have enough people that show up that feel like America is not really an idea that they much care for, it's really just about a place where you can you know, get access to the welfare state where there's this whole liberal uh, industrial complex of you know, grievance organizations and telling you, oh, you came here? Well, America owes this to you. You know, we have to give you even more than what we've already given you. We're so terrible to have put you in this position where you, you don't have everything that you want. But, you know, we want to end immigration? This is from a congressman on television saying this and people will act like this is an, in an intelligent thing to say, that this is an acceptable thing for him to say, it's just, it's just grotesque uh, and, and it's unfair, but we are dealing with people who are, are dishonorable on this issue above many others. I mean, this is one where, you know, we should really just understand 
they don't care about the truth. They don't care about what the long-term implications are for the country. They have bought into this, and there is a degree of hysteria that they have embraced around immigration rhetoric. They have no solutions, no answers, nothing. All they have is more, more, more. If you don't like it, you're racist. That's what they offer up. But I have to say the all-time record for lying in the face of all the evidence was a tweet you, Madam Secretary, sent out on June the 17th. And it says, we do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. That's your Twitter account. That's what you put out. Yet you came here today to tell us exactly is your policy of separating families and children from their families. Another lie. I know I have 45 seconds. I won't take them all. Oh, here it, it goes. Get ready for it. Gutierrez. to me and astonishing to me that during Christmas. Of course. I like to call them the holiday seasons to be ex- inclusive. But during Christmas, because the majority always wants to just call it Christmas, that during Christmas, a time in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, a Jesus Christ who had to flee for his life with Mary and Joseph. Thank God there wasn't a wall that stopped him from seeking refuge in Egypt. Ah, there we go. Thank God that wall wasn't there. And thank God there wasn't an administration like this or he would have too have perished on the 28th on the day of innocence when Herod ordered the murder of every child under two years of age. Maybe I haven't gone a lot to Bible school, but I know that part. I mean, he's a moron. Shame on everybody that separates children and allows them to stay at the other side of the border, fearing death, fearing hunger, fearing sickness. Shame on us for wearing our badge of Christianity during Christmas and allow the secretary to. All right. I can't I can't I can't take it again. I'm sorry that you guys had to hear as much that you didn't notice. Yeah, that's right. Everyone, everyone who's coming across the, the border illegally is the baby Jesus. This is what we're supposed to take away from all of this. And Republicans are just the big, bad, mean people. By the way, when Joseph and Mary were, were returning to Bethlehem, it was to be legally counted for the purposes of taxation. You see, they were obeying the law. They were, they were, not, they were not coming in from some other place and trying to evade. They weren't trying to get, get away from border patrol. They were obeying the law of the time, nonetheless. Um, the, the, you know, People get separated from families every day across the country for breaking the law. People get separated from their children every day. You know who might get separated from his children in a few months? General Flynn, you know? Maybe his grandchildren. I don't know if he has grandchildren or not. But people, families get separated for criminal justice reasons all the time in this country. And I'm not saying that's good and we should celebrate it. I'm just saying this is what happens. You know, there is a trade-off between order and liberty. There is a trade-off between rule of law and compassion. And all Democrats do is just play this game of, you know, we're the kind ones. We're not for open borders. But anything you do that makes the border not open, we're going to call you racist, baby-separating, heartless monsters for. You know, I think Nielsen's probably done, by the way, in 2019. I don't think she's going to last that much longer because she probably is sick of just getting all this abuse from these crazy Democrat loons. And, and I, I, I don't blame her. You know, it's getting, it's getting tough. It's getting tough out there for people that try to actually do something about the border. 
Donald Trump wags the dog. As the investigations into him close in, he plays chicken with the lives of federal employees and their families by walking the country toward a government shutdown. And the world is less safe today after the dramatic resignation of the last human guardrail. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis's resignation, a clear rebuke of Donald Trump's reckless decisions about troop withdrawals in Syria and Afghanistan. The backlash to Donald Trump's impulsivity being felt this afternoon at home and around the world and reigniting questions about who Trump is working for and whether he's displaying an unsustainable degree of instability in office. From Secretary Mattis's resignation letter, quote, my views on treating okay, allies... Okay. I, I, this is where I have to jump in. So, so that's Nicole Wallace, who is a former uh, Bushy. You know, she worked for the Bush administration. So a, a former Republican uh, or just somebody who liked her position within the Republican elite. And now that she doesn't feel like she's as connected or as important, has turned on everything she used to believe in. I'm not sure which it is. Now, I believe that she is supposed to be an anchor and not an opinion journalist, but although it doesn't even really matter. The point is, just listen to that introduction. The last human guardrail against President Trump, General Mattis, the last human guardrail. Uh, meanwhile, the, you know, the, the number two at the Pentagon is now going to be, well, first of all, Mattis is still there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's not even a a, a an imminent concern of there's nobody in place to do anything that would stop the president from. Um, but I just wonder, when does one of these horrible things actually happen? The things that we're always being told are going to happen because of President Trump. When does one actually occur? Oh, we're going to have war with North Korea. No, actually, he's going to try to get a peace deal with North Korea. Oh, the Iranians, they're just going to do all these terrible things if we end the deal with them. Well, it turns out that the deal is, you know, well, which is it? They, they, they tell us that these horrible things are going to happen and that Trump is so reckless and awful, and yet these things don't happen. And is it really because everyone around Trump is so good at stopping him from making these bad decisions all the time? I'm not saying that Trump doesn't have some impulses that are best reined in. I think every president probably has some ideas and impulses that his advisors around him uh, recognize or, or are able to make him recognize are not the way to go. But did you hear all of that? I mean, you had you had a, a anchor on MSNBC there suggesting you know, who does the president work for? We know what that is. I don't think that's a, I don't think you could even say that's a Russia whistle. I think that's a Russia bullhorn. Oh, that's right. He's doing Putin's bidding. He's doing Putin's bidding. You, you know what I remember during the Obama years, and many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Every time we were suggesting a more aggressive posture against the Islamic State, we were doing Osama bin Laden's bidding or ISIS's bidding or Al-Qaeda's bidding by trying to fight against them. Now we do Putin and Erdogan's bidding. I mean, this is just a stupid talking point for people that don't want to actually deal with the reality of what's going on on the ground in either Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, there, there are real conversations to be had here. I get it. I have a, a personal affinity for the Kurdish people and what they have done in Iraq and in Syria, and we owe them, and I get it. We need to find a way to keep faith with the Kurds. That doesn't mean we have to set up a permanent base in Syria always and forever when 
We don't even know what the purpose is of our presence there beyond there not being an Islamic state. But people are saying, oh, they're doing, doing, you're doing Erdogan's bidding. Oh, you're doing Putin's bidding. Just because Putin or Erdogan wants us to do one thing or another, it doesn't mean that's the wrong thing for us to do. This is a simplistic thinking. And especially from people who have never been in the region, who have no in-depth knowledge of any of these matters. Are, they're among the most vociferous in this, oh, well, you know, there's a, va- a vacuum will form. A vacuum will form. Okay, well, if, if that's going to be our, our posture, then I suppose we should also set up a military, a, a permanent military presence. You know, a few thousand soldiers in Nigeria, in Somalia, in Libya, you know, go down the list. And by the way, we already have, how many countries do we have a military presence? When you add it all up, this notion that by by trying to draw down more quickly from Syria, everything is going to collapse and become terrible um, doesn't take into account the Iraqi forces that are next door. But that, that's even getting into the, the a serious discussion about this. I, I'm persuadable on this issue, meaning that, I, you know, I, I understand why there are concerns about rapid withdrawal from Syria. I understand why people, although in Afghanistan, just let's let's be clear, the the two options are. Stay there forever and withdraw knowing that we have not achieved an enduring stable Afghanistan, but that's not something that we're going to try to do anymore. Those are the options. The option of just give it one more year, just give it one more year, that should be off the table. That should be off the table. Either we say we're, we're creating a permanent base in Afghanistan, similar to what we have in uh, you know, South Korea and Germany and Okinawa, where we're just going to be there forever and now take into account that it's a, it's a country that could rapidly deteriorate and we may have, you know, Taliban artillery shelling our air base there. And guess what? That means that we're going to have to come back in full force and deal with that. You know, I, I had an exchange on, uh, on Twitter today with, well, with a few people, um, with uh, Ben Shapiro, with um, what's his, uh, what's his, uh, Brit Hume. Uh, who I generally uh, really enjoy his his Twitter game, actually. Uh, and Britt was saying, you know, are you opposed to me? Are you opposed to uh, U.S. military being deployed anywhere that's dangerous? And I said, no, I'm opposed to U.S. military continuing to take casualties in a place where there's no end goal in sight. You know, I, I got into some trouble, some folks today, because I tweeted out the following. Ending a policy of endless war is never going to be easy There will always be trade-offs, and yes, there are risks. But the alternative is endless war. Uh, People are saying, Buck, that's not fair. It's not endless war. This is just a strategic projection of power. And and to that I say, well, the the Twin Towers got hit by Al-Qaeda when I was a sophomore in college, 2001. It's almost 2019. It has been 18 years. We have not one single year we can point to where we have not had U.S. troops involved in active combat operations in, in a foreign theater. And a foreign theater that you know, was, was not an imminent threat to the United States, uh, to put it mildly. So, I mean, if that's not endless war, what is endless war? I mean, you could always, we could be at war for 30 years and they'd say, well, Buck, 
we could end the war next year, so it's not endless. I'd say, all right, but I think the point still stands. You know, it's, it's time to stop doing this, to try to build other people's countries for them. We tried very hard in Iraq at a cost of tremendous blood and treasure. We beat Al-Qaeda in Iraq. We beat the Taliban in Afghanistan. But we can't make these countries nice places to live. We can't make these societies more functional, really, than they, than they are or than their own people want them to be. You know, one of the reasons why we can have bases long-term in Germany and Japan is that the societies that sprung up after horrific warfare were incredibly durable, stable, and modern. That is not the case in Afghanistan. That is not the case in Iraq. And you also have to look at the surrounding areas um, and you know what, what the likelihood is of imminent conflict. Now, people would say, Buck, well, what about North Korea? They could invade at any point in time. North Korea knows that if we, if they were to attack South Korea, we would respond with overwhelming military force. Let's just say, let's just play this out a little bit more. If we were to set up a permanent military base in Syria, which is a sovereign country that we are not at war in, that the Congress has not authorized a military intervention in, and where we want the Assad regime to continue to be in charge if the choice is, and it is, Assad or the Islamic State. That is the choice. We, we do not have another choice, really, that we are aware of um, or, or, or that is realistic. But who do, what, what do we do when all of a sudden the base starts coming under assault from mortars all the time? What do we do when our permanent base in Syria has 500-pound uh, truck bombs, thousand pounds of military-grade explosives showing up at, at the gate, at our security gates, and blowing up whoever happens to be there trying to do inspections. You know, what, we went through this in Lebanon. No less than Ronald Reagan knew that it was a nasty fight, knew the humanitarian situation was terrible, tried to clean things up, realized this is a mess, and got out. People forget about that. Did things, was there more violence? Did things grind on in Lebanon after we left? Yes, of course. But it wasn't our fight. And we lost almost, what was the full number? I mean, it was about 300 in the bombing of the Marine barracks. I, I, I'm forgetting off the top. I think it was 287, but I could be wrong on that one. Um, this, is the, this is the truth of the situation. We, we have to start understanding that there are limitations to what we can... I'm sorry, 307 people. I said about 300, but yeah, 307 people. 241 U.S., 58 French peacekeepers, six civilian, and the two attackers. We do not want endless war. I would like the U.S. to be at peace sooner than later. It's time to bring our people home. With a new year comes new hiring decisions, and that means new personnel and the need for new background investigations, right? Whatever size your company, you could have a company with 10 people, you could have a company with 10,000 people. You need another company that you can trust to do the background checks for your people to vet everybody who's coming through the door of your place of business, right? That's Global Verification Network's role. You really want to try out this veteran-owned and dual-certified veteran-owned business based out of Chicago, but they've got offices all across the country. They'll work with companies of any size. They'll come up with a package for you. Just call them. They'll walk you through their process, and you'll never have to worry about who's doing your background checks again. And in fact, if you've got somebody doing them right now that's not doing a great job, 
Give Global Verification a call and they'll tell you why you should give them your business. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. This is a good metaphor for the Trump presidency. It is more and more concentrated on the views and beliefs of the base of the party, the House Republicans. I mean, you know, the, the, the Mattis decision today and the apparent decision to shut down the government over, over the border wall, I mean, they, they, are, they are part of the same governing philosophy, which is the president doesn't reach out to his adversaries, political adversaries, he doesn't compromise, and he, he goes with the, the views of what, uh, 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 of the people who, who he feels are his closest supporters. I mean, he is going to close down the government because Ann Coulter got mad at him. And that's, you know, that, that's, um, you know, wh- where we are on the budget, uh, on the budget side. And, you know, Mattis is a representative of a broad Washington consensus uh, about military matters. You know, he is not known as a particularly p- political person, but he's out now. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the phrase the, the, there's only so the much blather is, from is tubing over, over at CNN that, that one can stomach and one can handle. Uh, you know, what he's saying, this whole nefarious construct of events that, that he's pulling together uh, is also known as uh, keeping faith with your base, keeping campaign promises. This is what President Trump said he was going to do. These, these things that he is pushing for this week are the things he said he was going to do. You will recall just a few days ago, I was very upset with the president and I was not OK with it. I had a pretty bummed out day here on the show because I thought the president was throwing in the towel. I'm not here because I love Trump so much. I'm not here because I think that, you know, he's such an amazing human being and we should all model our lives after him. I support the president because the president has said he will do the following things. Fill in the blanks from the campaign trail, right? Build a wall, uh, fight back against China on its predatory trade practices, deal with political correctness, take the fight to the media, lower taxes, build a booming economy, bring jobs back. I mean, all these, you know, look, I understand a lot of politicians say a lot of things that they don't intend to keep or that they won't be able to keep, you know, that that they just know is, is a false promise. But a wall is a very clear, it's a binary proposition. It is or it is not. We get a wall or we do not have a wall. So that's something we can hold the president accountable for. And he should do everything in his power to make sure that we get this wall. Um, And, you know, on the Mattis issue with the with the consensus, you know, because then Tubin was just waving around with all this. They say he's a legal analyst. I mean, he's just a pundit. It's like Paul Krugman without the without the economics degree. Uh, But, you know, you, you. you hear him talking about how Mattis represents a military consensus. Okay, you know, what, is, what has the military consensus gotten us in the last, let's just say the last 10 years? You know, the, 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 the elites on foreign policy, the people that have been calling the shots, what have they gotten us in the Middle East? What has been achieved? Um, a stable and enduring Iraq? Not really. I mean, we had to put 5,000 troops back. We had to have an air campaign, a multinational coalition. Um, you know what, what? Now you could also argue the Middle East has never really been stable, and I think that's a I think that's a fair point. The Middle East is not a region of stability, and there's a, a lot of a lot of uh, reasons why that is the case. 
But that Mattis's departure is, look, I, I have a lot of respect for Mattis. I also don't know the guy. I never worked for him. I, I don't have any personal anecdotes about about General Mattis. Um, but I, I would also note that, you know, that there I've heard a lot of four stars tell us that what we're doing in Afghanistan is going to work, and they're wrong. They're wrong. Over and over again, they're wrong. Stan McChrystal, who is incredibly well-respected and was a very, I was impressed with him, a very smart, but uh, comes across as an introspective and, and somewhat humble guy, given who he is. Uh, he, he was a big proponent of negotiating with the uh, with the Taliban. He, he thinks that that's a good, you know, the, the, the way to go forward is negotiate with the Taliban. Get some kind of a deal. All that is is cover for our exit. That's just political cover. It's not real cover, meaning the Taliban is not going to keep any promise they make. Everybody knows that. So, you know, we need to stop holding up people as just because of who they are, they must be right on this issue. It's definitely not something that you could say about the Department of Justice, the CIA, the NSA. You look at these places and they're just people. They have ideas. Yeah, they have expertise. They have knowledge. But these are judgment calls. They're judgment calls that affect the American people in the most important ways, in matters of life and death. We have a right to be involved. We are citizens. We have a right to be involved in those conversations and, and to be heard on them. You know, if, if our military action in Syria is such a good idea, tell us then what the plan is. They say, oh, it's ISIS hasn't been defeated. Well, if, if we have to stay until ISIS is defeated, and if we have to stay until the Turks no longer want to bomb the Kurds because they hate each other, and if we have to stay until the Assad regime is not just waiting in the wings to take back this territory because it is still the country of Syria and Assad is the only national government that is even capable of taking control of this area, we're going to be there forever. So, okay, if, if, if we want to have a discussion where the president needs to slow his roll on Syria. We need to get a firm agreement from the Turks. They will not attack. They will not destabilize. They will not go after our Kurdish allies. We will continue supplying the Kurds, making sure that they can hold the territory that they have taken. We will back a political process, but we won't have you know a few thousand troops there. Maybe we only have a few hundred troops there. That's a discussion that I think we can have. That's a, that's a place where we can go on this strategy. And in Afghanistan... Drawing down from 14,000 to 7,000, it, it, it signals to the Afghan national government, you know, that the gravy train is not going to continue on forever here. We're not going to just keep throwing billions of dollars into the Afghan, uh, into the Afghan economy that just ends up on the, you know, in the corruption market, essentially, and propping this place up. The Afghans are going to have to deal with the future that Afghanistan has in store for them. Let's talk about a, a potential government shutdown at midnight tomorrow night on the eve of Christmas. Uh, this is what the president told Democratic leaders at the White House last week. Stephen, listen to this. I am proud to shut down the government for border security. I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle Good. of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border but we security. Believe you all right. Uh, we're apparently in the same position as we were a week ago. Uh, the president had, as you know, two years, a Republican controlled House and a Republican controlled Senate to get this done, to build that border wall. Why did he fail? Well, <laughs> the, the House is voting as we speak on border security. The fight's only just beginning. 
As you know, first of all, when we're talking about success on border security, this president has made unprecedented achievements in that area. But right now, as we speak, we are rallying Republican lawmakers to try and get a bill out of the House. And the fundamental issue here is whether or not Democrats will supply votes to pass border security or whether they're going to push for open borders, which equals massive but, but, crime and massive crime. Stephen, if the president... 300 Americans die every week from heroin that crosses saying. through our southern border. I, I, I like this fired up Stephen Miller, you know? I, I think Stephen Miller, who is going on CNN and, uh, and giving their anchors kind of a, kind of a tough time, uh, I, I like it. You know, I think, it's, I think it's pretty good. This guy, Stephen Miller, he's smart on immigration. Uh, he's actually got... You know, he's got some skills on the immigration front for sure. And, you know, this uh, the, the media really tries hard here to make it sound like what Republicans want is so, so unreasonable. Oh, it's just so unreasonable. When you think about it, what are they really asking for? Five five billion dollars to build border barrier? Really? That that's what's that's what's so impossible. I mean, given all the things that we spend money on, I've, I've even seen Democrats. Howard Dean was writing about how we need to keep our our military uh, keep our military commitments where they are uh, in in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria. Howard Dean, Mister Anti War against the Iraq War, tweeted out: "By withdrawing our troops from Afghanistan, you are condemning millions of women to the Stone Age." Wow! First of all, that's that's I'm amazed that he got away with saying that. No education, no choice about who they marry. They will become property when the Taliban takes over. Is that what you really want, Ro Khanna? He's running to Ro Khanna. And I would just say, okay, Howard Dean, so what you're saying is we have to rebuild Afghanistan and impose a new society upon them. That, that doesn't sound like uh, a short-term limited mission to me. And, and how long before we're told that that's imperialistic and it's some, uh, some neo-colonial white man's burden mission that we are, are engaging in there and that we are oppressors and that we are doing bad things you know this is this is what will happen there uh, we will be told that we are invaders and we are colonialists and all of those things if we actually try to remake afghan society which howard dean seems to want to do but but i digress how much money is going to be spent though uh, how much money is going to be spent on the war in afghanistan and how much can we spend on our border uh, stephen miller is not letting them just slip away on this with the usual talking points. And this is what you see so often with Democrats is that the talking points are designed to attack the person who wants to ask questions. The talking points are set up on the left to shut down discussion, not to convince the other side or even convince somebody who's listening in that they're right. It's just offense. It's just perpetual offense when it comes to immigration. That's why it's, you know, they'll say it's racism, it's xenophobia, why do you want to separate women and children at the border? Why are you so heartless? Why are you afraid of uh, of, of non-white people immigrating to the country? All these things that they say are not meant to convince anyone of anything. They're just meant to make people who are asking questions about border security and illegal immigration say, I, I don't want to, it's this too much for me. I don't want to get into this anymore. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's what they want you to say. John, do we have that clip of... Miller continuing here with Wolf Blitzer. Are you talking to Democrats right now to come up with a compromise well, what before I, what, midnight tomorrow night? The Democrats 
All they need to do is support border security and the government will be funded. But well, that, that, that barrier that we're support, talking about uh, Stephen, is what the, Democrats, the Border Patrol The Democrats wants. support border security. They don't support $5 billion could for you, a wall. Could, could you identify, Wolf, for me, some of the kinds of border security you're saying the Democrats the are Democrats so here to support? The Democrats all say they support border security. Like, but like what? Where they, they, don't, well, where they disagree respect, with you They voted against Kate's law. They voted against ending sanctuary cities. They voted against supporting MS-13 gang members. They voted against supporting violent criminals. They voted time and time again against a physical border wall to stop illegal entry. I mean, wh where is the evidence that you keep asserting they're for border security? They haven't been. They oppose closing loopholes for asylum that, that right. flood our system Stephen, with meritless claims. I, I, I want to move on they to another sense of the They oppose release. You know, this is what somebody needs to do to point out that there's nothing, there's nothing about the Democrats that suggests that they really believe in border security. That they keep saying this because then, okay, well, then Democrats must be reasonable. There is nothing about their policies that indicates a desire to be um, secure, to secure our border. And he just ran down this whole list. You know, they, they, want, they want people to be able to more easily get into the United States to claim asylum, and then they'll never be deported even when they don't get asylum, which is what the law says. The law says if you don't get it, you got to go. They, they don't want, you know, more deportations. They, they always try to slow down deporting gang members. They, they don't want, uh, you know, more aggressive border patrolling. They, they, you know, there's not, they, they like sanctuary cities. They don't want enforcement of the interior. They don't want to verify. I mean, just go down the list. Go down the list. Where is the evidence for Democrats want a secure border? They know the American people, by a solid majority, want a secure border. So they say that, but when it comes to their actions, where is the evidence that they do, in fact, want a secure border based on the laws that they're willing to pass, based on the specifics of how they can fix different problems? It's just not there. Stephen Miller with a dropkick. I mean, Wolf Blitzer also, that guy. He's one of the luckiest people on planet Earth, as far as I can tell. You know, he just looks like an anchor and sounds like an anchor and d doesn't really seem to know very much. Is certainly not particularly adept or, or capable on his feet. And yet he's like the most respected anchor at CNN. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but he, he also at least doesn't go quite as far as some of the other pundit types that you have. Uh, on CNN, you know, some of the others who who are who are anchors, but are actually pundits, you know, they they claim to be nonpartisan. And yet all they do, you know, they get Chris Cuomo, bro Cuomo who's like, hey, so like when you become, uh, you know, I just want to ask you this question, uh, Trump supporter, like, when you become a racist? It's like, oh, wow, that's a that's a fair question to ask some you know Republican congressman who thinks that we should have a secure border. You know, that's what that's the game that they play, though, unfortunately, that's what they do. But Miller is completely correct in laying out that on issue after issue, Democrats make it harder to secure the border and then claim without evidence, you could say, that they want to secure the border. There we go. Score one for Stephen Miller. I got to tell you, he did a good job. Some of you have asked me, what's it like to do a show in the morning every day with liberals, Buck? What's that like? <laughs> I say, well... Buck has a tremendous patience and sometimes has to rely on social charm to, uh, or I guess just charm, not social charm, to diffuse situations. Um, rising has been a very interesting experiment thus far. Um, it 
is a left-right show, so I have a liberal co-host whom I, I must say on a, on a personal level I get along with fantastically, and she's a, a, a lovely person. Um, but it is tough to just have the give and take of, well, the two hosts from different perspectives, but more than that, the guests that we have come in. I was actually joking around this week because you know everybody was kind of letting it loose a little, let, letting loose, <laughs> letting it loose uh, this week because we had our last week of full sh- shows on the air before next year. And uh, we're talking about how we can always tell when somebody comes in and they've done their homework about the show versus people that just come in and go, oh, it's just, you know, a, a show. It's The Hill. The Hill's kind of a nonpartisan, maybe slightly center left, although I know people say it's center right. But, you know, it's a pretty both sidesy website in terms of the news it puts up, depending on who you ask. Uh, and people sit down and go, hey, Crystal. Hey, Buck. And... and you know, they're all happy to be there. And if it's a, sometimes we're talking about, you know, getting dogs trained up for people with, you know, who who have PTSD or, you know, we talk about really nice stuff on the show. So that's, that sometimes is fine. Uh, Meaning that, you know, there's no political throwdown expected, but sometimes we get somebody's coming in and, you know, they're, we're about to talk about, I don't know, the Kavanaugh hearing and, and they don't know necessarily who I am and who Crystal, uh, who Crystal is, especially if they're a subject matter expert, uh, but other times they'll come in and they'll be like, you know, hi, Crystal, great to see you. And then they'll look at me and say, hello, Buck. You know, it's like, hello, Newman. Like they know that I'm there to uh, not give them a hard time, but just give the other perspective. And so in a sense, they're sitting down looking at me like, oh, I know you're the enemy. And I have to be like, no, 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 I'm not. Terrible person. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that, that's what they're thinking when they sit down, John. Um, and and we, we had some really, some spirited exchanges. When we started this show, the idea was, and this is why I love radio so much, because this is just me and I get to tell you what's really top of mind, how I'm thinking about issues and how the give and take of, um, you know, email and Facebook. And we will take more calls in the new year, by the way. I know that's been something that we haven't been doing as much of. Uh, and I miss, I miss hearing from more of you on the phone line. So we just, honestly, it's the reason we haven't done calls today is a staffing because we're here in the holidays. I thought, I know I said yet I was wrong. I thought we would have the ability to take calls today. I thought we'd have a person to man the phones because we need one on the board and one on the phones and producer Mike had to travel today to get to his family. And so it's just DJ John rocking the booth. Um, so I'm sorry that we don't have calls today, but that's why you should send me Facebook messages or email. Uh, you can send me an email. Um, yeah, officialteambuck at gmail.com is the email address that we have set up. I keep saying we're going to get a new one, but it's been a while. All right. So, but, you know, with Rising, we do have these moments where things can get a little tense. Things can get a little difficult. Um, and the most well-known exchange, I kind of want to do a little stop-start uh, of it. The most well-known exchange I think that we had on the show, not including the really big interviews, the president, the vice president, other people, um, but the one that that I think got the most attention was a a throwdown uh, with Candace Owens and my co-host, uh, my my uh, lovely co-host Crystal Ball. And I just want to play some of you know. This is what happens when you try to have a show where you bring everybody in and everyone's gonna be nice and everything's gonna be fine, but then things can sometimes get a little bit tense. Play it, John. 
How do you view the responsibility that comes with that? I view the responsibility of just being a person that maintains my um, ability to have an opinion, that I express an opinion, and no means that I say that I have just found the facts and this is related. Yeah. Um, and I always you reserve the right. You said there's zero percent chance. Yeah. I said I'm going to go out and bombs. say that there is a zero percent chance that this was sent by conservatives. I find all of these, all the things that are going on, the caravan of illegals, the packages that are being sent, and you, Brett you Kavanaugh's the confirmation. And, and right, now pause for a second. Too. I have to, I have to jump in here. Candace and Crystal were talking about these uh, pipe bombs, which I never really found out what the full details were about the construction of the bombs. But I don't think any I don't know if it's out there and I just missed it. But I felt like we we didn't really get those questions answered about how they how the bombs were made and what was the full uh, degree of lethality of them. But but regardless, uh, Candace said there's a zero percent chance that a conservative sent those bombs. It turned out that the guy had was driving around in like the MAGA mobile. So I, I you know, make of that what you will. But then the issue kind of turned a little bit to race relations. And um, Candace Owens is an African-American female. Crystal is a white liberal. And then things kind of just went from there. Keep playing it, John. I find it to be incredibly suspicious timing to know that they are meant to to get to the border um, at, you know, on the day of the election. Again, this is not rude in fact, but you do have to understand I am very much entitled to my opinion and Twitter is my platform. Candace, I have one 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 more. more. Just Uh, one more here because I I, I did. Whoa, whoa, hey, see, Buck Buck got shut out there. It was my turn to ask a question. Whoa, whoa, hey, hey, oh, oh, hey, hey. You know, that was where I was supposed to get the jump in, KB. That's what I call Crystal. KB is my turn, but no, she she was her she wanted to push on the issue with Candace, and that happens sometimes. We decide that we're gonna, you know, get into it more with the guest than the other host will, which that that tends to be the way this plays out. Um, but here is how that went. Keep playing it. To get to know you before you came on, yeah. and I'm really interested in your perspective For because sure. I think you're a fascinating person. Thank you. There was another tweet that said. The Democratic Party is comprised of racist white liberals. That is correct. Am I a racist white liberal? Well, let's go back. Um, and, and let's say, I will say this, that many people in the party don't, are not aware of their own racism. Let's go back to an early part of this conversation where you said to me, are you concerned about the color in the White House? Um, why, why would you ask me that question? Because you speak about black issues. No, but, but, but why, pers- would, you, why would you ask me? But well, let's get to really the nucleus of this. Why did you ask me that question today? Because I'm why did you feel that I needed to be concerned about that? Because you, you're bringing a whole group of young African-American okay. leaders to the White okay. House. Okay, so this is something that I talk about often, is that in many ways, white liberals don't realize that you, you put on that, the racism and the, the conversations that so we you're, have So you're are, saying I'm a racist. You haven't let me finish my statement. You keep okay. cutting me off. Go ahead. Okay? The emphasis that you place is always on having a discussion about race. Okay? You guys are insistent on having a conversation about race and telling us that we should see and implying that we should see race everywhere, and I don't agree with that. If you don't look at me according to the color of my skin, you would simply ask me how I thought that Trump was doing as a president. But instead, you try to drum up a conversation that's surrounded by race. Sweep the lick. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it got spicy in there for for a little bit. I was like, oh, I was, you know, Charlie Kirk was also on set w- with me. We, 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 you couldn't see this uh, on the, well, maybe you see it a little bit on the clip if you watch the video. But we were kind of looking at each other like, oh man, this is getting, it's getting intense. You know, I didn't know it was gonna go here. Um, and, and I would say this, that, you know, Crystal is a, is a really good sport about how she, she, she likes to debate. I mean, she wants to really mix it up. She had no problem with that exchange. In fact, she wanted to keep going. And we're thinking in the new year, I'll tell you this, about setting up a show that would be kind of an, in addition to Rising, which is more just news of the day and, 
and really based on getting newsmaker kind of uh, interviews, um, we would set up a show that would just be a debate, a debate show. And we would moderate it in a way where, you know, we'd give equal time and we'd have cross-examination by the hosts, cross-examination, you know, of each other and really structure it so we could have, you know, a a worthwhile intellectual throwdown. I mean, old school firing line, but with, you know, new school techniques and uh, technology. That's the that's the idea. So we're banding that about. We're hoping we can make that happen in 2019. We're already talking to the powers that be about it. So I've got some thoughts on 2018 that'll be coming your way. And obviously, end of your thoughts in just a moment. I don't want to spoil the surprise. I know Santa's coming soon. But if you're getting a gift from me this Christmas, you're getting the gift of Black Rifle Coffee. That's right. It is my favorite coffee company out there. I start every day with a delicious hot cup of Black Rifle. And I throw some heavy cream in there because you know what? You only live once. That's right. Don't be a wimp. Drink delicious coffee that is brought to you by veterans of the United States military. And they love their coffee. All right. And they make things easy with the coffee club. Black Rifle Coffee lets you pick your blend, the amount you want, and then they'll ship it right to your door. I just got a big crate of coffee delivered to me today. Give the gift of great-tasting coffee by ordering 3, 6, and 12-month prepaid or pay-as-you-go subscriptions, which you can gift for people. It's a fantastic gift for anybody. You got a last-minute gift. This is what you should do. The best-tasting coffee out there, Black Rifle Coffee, is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. For decades to come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. The behavior of several of the Democratic members of this committee at my hearing a few weeks ago was an embarrassment. But at least it was just a good old-fashioned attempt at borking. Those efforts didn't work when I did at least okay enough at the hearings that it looked like I might actually get confirmed, a new tactic was needed. Some of you were lying in wait and had it ready. This first allegation was held in secret for weeks by a Democratic member of this committee and by staff. It would be needed only if you couldn't take me out on the merits. When it was needed, this allegation was unleashed and publicly deployed over Dr. Ford's wishes. And then, and then, as no doubt was expected, if not planned, came a long series of false last-minute smears designed to scare me and drive me out of the process before any hearing occurred. Crazy stuff. Gangs, illegitimate children, fights on boats in Rhode Island, All nonsense, reported breathlessly and often uncritically by the media. This has destroyed my family and my good name. A good name built up through decades of very hard work and public service at the highest levels of the American government. I've spoken to a lot of friends in the last few days, a lot of people, about what the single most important story of 2018 has been. And almost all of them, including liberals that I know, agree that it was the Kavanaugh hearing. Of course, we 
the left and the right, Democrat and Republican, conservative and progressive, we take very different things away from it. But the Kavanaugh hearing was one of the most troubling public spectacles that I have ever witnessed in American, in, in, in life in America in my time. Um, it's one of the most disgusting, dishonest, and dishonorable mass media Democrat character assassination attempts I have ever seen. Maybe the worst one I have ever seen. Uh, it was utterly appalling. And it was a reminder, I think, for many of us that there is right and wrong in public life, that the media still has the power to destroy, maybe not quite as easily as they used to, but the left-wing-dominated, Democrat-aligned mainstream media is not beyond ruining a man or a woman's life in its pursuit of power and for the perpetuation of their preferred narrative. I watched that Kavanaugh hearing, and I remember getting to talk to you about it right as it was uh, concluding. And it was one of those moments when I actually could, I felt a physical manifestation of injustice. It felt evil. It felt wrong. And what those smiling hyenas, those senators on the Democrat side were doing was an evil thing. And there was clarity among conservatives. All of a sudden we realized that the left on some issues disagrees. On other issues, they are just wrong. They are immoral. On the issue of life, for example, they are wrong. And what they are doing is immoral. Uh, but on this, the destruction of the presumption of innocence and the abandonment of cross-examination, of, of just reason and the presentation of evidence, all of that they were willing to completely dispense with to ruin a man, to ritually torture him on television for the amusement of progressive jackals across the country who unfortunately in many cases have been fed this idea that white males are the enemy, that white males are the enemy of women, in fact, that the patriarchy is really just another way of saying the white male dominance of American society. And even if maybe Kavanaugh didn't do the things he was accused of doing, perhaps it was a necessary sacrifice, you know, to even things out to destroy him. That was, a, that was a mentality that was much more widespread than I think a lot of people outside of the you know, coasts, outside of the corridors would realize. You know, the Acela Corridor, as it's called. I mean, the media was very much in favor of this for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which was they kind of wanted a, a really prominent you know, prep school, white male, Yale-educated scalp on the right. They really liked that idea. Maybe he, maybe he was innocent, but they thought it was still worth it to, to destroy him. I, I can think of few things more horrible than being accused of being a, a serial gang rapist 
Remember, remember how insane these accusations were. And it's very important that you also remember who was willing to be a part of this. Who, I would note, that you usually could count on, perhaps in the media, in the press, public intellectuals, who all of a sudden became a coward. Who was saying, well, she has a right to be believed because they didn't want their email inbox to be filled with nasty comments from people across the country who say that you know, women are w- w- women never lie. We were told things that are just themselves lies, that women never lie about this. No, women do lie about this. Not all women, not even a majority of women, but it does happen. So why spread the lie that it never happens? They were saying that. They were saying that. You know, the, a, a lie can be a very useful thing, unfortunately, for unscrupulous people, and we were seeing that on full display in the Kavanaugh hearing. So it was the biggest, for me, the biggest story of 2018 was, in fact, that two or three week period of the Brett Kavanaugh hearing. And it, it serves as a very important reminder for all of us, a very important reminder that the left is willing to act in ways that are really demonic, that go beyond just a question of different, you know, different means to reach the same end it's not just well you know you have your way and we have our way and maybe we can find some way to make it all you know go down the middle no this was this was the acceptance of immorality to destroy a human being publicly for all time and they failed but they just barely failed As I've told you many times here on the show, I was talking to people in the White House during those weeks, as well as others around this town in D.C., and it was a close-fought battle. There were times when it looked like maybe the president, just for the reasons of preserving the Republican Party's reputation or whatever the the fear was, they might withdraw the Kavanaugh nomination. It It was close. And... If Blasey Ford, who you know now, of course, is a celebrity, and we all understand that, and you know they they spent a tremendous amount of time working with her on her presentation, and this was all stage managed. This was all uh, there was collusion, you could say, in this effort. This was not just some woman coming forward on her own without anyone uh, telling her what to say, how to say it, how to present. Every aspect of it was very closely managed for maximum impact against Kavanaugh. If he had not come out, and we started by playing some of his defense, if he had not come out as any man of honor would, accused of the things that he was accused of and responded to it with indignation and outrage and righteous fury, he would not be on the Supreme Court and he would have been destroyed. Everything that he had built over his life, everything that he ever stood for, would have been destroyed. He would have had to seek justice in the next life, because in this one, there would have been no justice for him. And this was forced on us by the same media that tells us all the time that Trump is so immoral, so unethical, so distasteful. I don't trust any of them to be the arbiters of what is fair or right, I don't really want to hear it. I don't really think I need their lectures. Um, But it was a warning for us all as well. This next year, 2019, is going to be very 
very ugly. Uh, the political temperature will go even higher. How is that even possible? It's tough to say, but it will. There are a lot of people who I think have lost touch with what really matters in their lives. A lot of people who are, who are scared, who are angry, who have been brainwashed, whether it's on, on climate change or Trump's xenophobia or the threat of nuclear annihilation that he poses or Russia collusion, any one of these areas of, of hysteria. And hysteria, unfortunately, is contagious. That's how you get to a mass hysteria, and that's where we are. This is going to now be funneled through a Democrat majority in the House of Representatives that, as we saw from the Kavanaugh situation on the Senate side, has no scruples to protect. We'll do anything that's effective. We'll destroy anyone that stands in their way. And so we are going to have to be prepared for things to get nasty, messy, and very, very difficult. You will have people in your day-to-day life who will think less of you if you don't agree with them that Trump should be impeached. You will have old friends, this has happened to me, who say really really unfair and and hurtful and destructive things to you about you because you don't agree with them. Be prepared for that. Don't back down, but also you don't have to fight every fight. You don't have to engage every time. It's some, some fights are just not worth it. Most fights, quite honestly, in your day-to-day life are just not worth it, at least over politics. Rarely is it the case that you need to hand out your own version of the buck slap, although sometimes you should. There was this news today about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, around whom a kind of creepy cult has formed, the, the cult of RBG, you know, the, the, the crossfitter and the Supreme Court justice extraordinaire. Um, she had surgery to remove cancerous growths from her lungs. And because we are all decent human beings, we wish her a speedy recovery in all the best. She is another human being. She has, you know, she has feelings and family and people love her and we wish her all the best. I bring it up only because it sent a bit of a, an alarm through the left-wing ranks because their, their plan is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg will stay through the 2020 election. But that's a ways off. Uh, Ginsburg is 85 years old. And obviously had just has a, had a very serious health care. And this is after she had broken a number of ribs. Um, she's going to try to make it all the way through, but her health may fail. She may have to step down. If that happens, I can't even begin to picture, I can't even really understand how much rage and hysteria and, and over-emotional craziness is going to fall on the uh, on the left wing of this country and people that really think that you know RBG is the last hope of you know women's rights and minorities and abortion and you know you go down all these different things that they're so concerned about uh, i don't know how that plays out other than to say that this country will be it will be more divided than it has been certainly in my lifetime over that issue Kavanaugh was a a vision of what is to come again in the future, I think. So we will have to be prepared for that in 2019.
Social media is not just a platform, it's also increasingly a publisher. That means that people can determine what you see and how you see it, and they can also ban you or kick you off the site or just make sure none of your friends are actually seeing what you're writing. That's going on with Twitter and Facebook, all these big sites. If you don't want to deal with that anymore, I've got a new startup social media company for you, snippy.com. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com and they're expressing opinions and stirring up lively conversations. You see, Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that is all about conversation and the free exchange of ideas. There is no left-wing bias, no progressive conversational health initiatives, just free and open discourse the way you and I like it, all right? Totally free to join, open to everyone. Snippy.com, let your opinion matter. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and for Android, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Man, John, I don't want to bum everybody out. You know, I know that we're just getting pretty intense there for a second. My year my year in review, I don't, I don't have a lot of stock markets kind of in the, in the toilet right now. Uh, you know, the Democrats won the House. Trump, uh, the Mueller probe still goes on, and there's not a whole lot that I think we could we could celebrate all that all that openly um, right now. But there's also a lot we could celebrate in our day to day lives. Like John, what are you going to be doing over the Christmas break? I'm going to be working, Buck. Okay, I'll all be right. in here uh, uh, working. Yeah, uh, I, I've got to do some things here and there. I'm going to take a few days off from radio, although I have to. I'm on call for the Hill, which means that I have to stay in D.C. for. A are you doing of days anything for your birthday? Uh, Miss Molly's gonna make me a big dinner. Um, she, I usually ask her to make something that's really, usually glutinous, and she makes a delicious gluten-free version of it. She makes incredible gluten-free pizza, which I would tell some of you are like, "Oh, gluten-free pizza? No, 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 it's really good. Make it for yourself at home. Almond crust gluten-free pizza is excellent. Beet crust gluten-free pizza. I know it sounds funky, you know." He's a super beat, super beat. Um, but you you should try a beet crust pizza. Um, but John, I'm sure you're gonna take some you're gonna take some time off, right? Um, my first day off will be January second. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah, you're a, you're a hardworking man, brother. I, I appreciate. That's I appreciate the nature it. of radio. It you know, is. You're usually working holidays and late nights and weekends and. Uh, you're going was, in in a snowstorm. I'm trying to tell people I'm too tired to go on vacation this year. I'm just taking vacation, meaning I just need to regroup. I just need a lot of sleep. I need to eat, you know, healthy food and not just keep on throwing gluten-free mac and cheese in the microwave. So, you know, I, I've I've got uh, I've got those those plans going on. But you know, it'll, it'll be fun. Christmas. I'll be up in New York for Christmas Day. It's always very pretty up there, and that's that's very nice. And you know, the, the good news is. What really matters is the stuff that you're dealing with every day, folks. You know, what, what really matters is this holiday over Christmas, uh, the Christmas holiday itself, and being with your family and friends, being with loved ones. That's the stuff that really, yeah, whether we win on, uh, you know, this Supreme Court case or that, or whether, you know, taxes go up or down, we can manage all that stuff. So, you know, what? maybe this is the one time, this is probably bad from a radio business perspective, because usually people are like, oh my gosh, the country's falling apart. They're abandoning their principles on the Constitution. And yeah, you know, I, I get it, right? This is what most people do on radio all the time. And, you know, they're trying to destroy us. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that it's actually all good. It, it's all going to be okay. Not every day, not day to day. You know, there's going to be problems, but it's all going to be all right. And this Christmas takes some time to uh, reset, you know, just 
just give yourself. It is important. You actually owe it to yourself, no matter how much of a of a fighter you are, whether in your personal or professional life, you owe it to yourself to spend some time recharging this holiday, reflecting, um, maybe think about baby Jesus and God. That's up to you. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you should be doing that will help you push into 2019 strong. So there we have it. A little bit of uplift before we get into some roll call and some closing thoughts for 2018. It's time for Roll Call. This is our final Roll Call of the year, which is pretty amazing, really. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Brian. Oh, by the way, I'm I'm going to uh, close out with some some final thoughts for the year uh, in the next segment. So Roll Call will not, in fact, be our last segment of the... It will not be our last segment of the year. I'll just get to talk to you all for a few minutes to close out a very successful 2018. Brian writes, uh, Happy birthday, Buck. Have a well-deserved, relaxing week off. Hope you're getting out of the swamp and back to NYC. Get ready for a very interesting 2019. We're going to need your insight and decorum more than ever next year. P.S. I sent you and Porter an email a while back on blockchain and global currency transitions that will happen when the overdue and expected market correction happens. Really want yours and Porter's feedback on the company known as Ripple. Uh, When the correction happens, I think we'll see a large scale transition to XRP in banks and institutions. Take a look as I appreciate your research. Uh, Well, Brian. I will certainly uh, take a look and thank you so much for your your kind words. And yeah, 2019 is going to be wild. Uh, I'm going to be talking more about that next, but 2019 is going to be a uh, particularly interesting year to be doing radio and covering politics. Uh, Mesa writes, hey, you read my message on air. Awesome. On my way home now and catching the show. So bummed about Mattis resigning. He was definitely my favorite cabinet member. Keep up the great work, Buck. Shields high. Yeah, Mesa, a lot of people really like Mattis. And, um, you know, I think that there's a sense that they, you know, that they won't be able to find someone who can fill his shoes. But I, I think the military has a whole lot of incredibly adept, skilled, and wise minds and will be able to get a really fantastic secretary of defense uh, in the next year. I think that that's likely to happen. I'm, I have a feeling Mattis will probably want to weigh in on the on the transition uh, at some degree, although I don't know how how strained the relationship really is with President Trump. I've certainly read a fair amount about that being the case. Uh, Scott writes, hey there, Buck, considering that my little town of 16,000 souls here in Laconia has lost 12 people to drug overdoses this year, and we all know where they're coming from, Where are the people that will start asking truly hard questions to Democrat lawmakers that have zero interest in securing our border? Who is going to stand up and ask Nancy Pelosi next year and ask her, Madam Speaker, 60,000 people died last year from drug overdoses. How many American citizens do you think are acceptable to sacrifice to opioids streaming over our borders on the open border altar? 30,000? It is truly time, rather, to take these people to the woodshed, Keep up the good fight, and I'm keeping my shield high, brother. Merry Christmas. Well, Scott, Merry Christmas to you, too. And um, on the opioid issue, I mean, I agree. I think it's a an incredibly serious issue, and I am troubled 
by the fact that people just don't seem to want to believe or want to accept the reality that the drugs are coming across our southern border. That's what is happening. That is the truth of where most of the illegal opioids uh, are making their way into this country. So with that in mind, I just would have to say that we have to keep the pressure on, keep spreading the truth, keep uh, talking about what you know the likeliest uh, ways of dealing with this or the, the best, most effective ways of dealing with this problem will be. It was very troubling. I was reading an analysis of the opioid epidemic and there was a case being made just based on the statistics that we are likely to see a significant decrease in opioid addiction after there has been essentially a massive uh, death toll that has gone on long enough that the people who have already been introduced to opioids already have some dependency are no longer with us. I mean, it was a horribly uh, macabre view of where the opioid crisis is going. Uh, it's, it, would, it would almost like be saying that the war will end when when enough people have died, uh, when when you know when enough people have died that neither side has the will to fight anymore. So I, I think we need to head that off. We can't just wait for there to be. Uh, die, you know, people dying. Uh, that's that's unacceptable. James writes, hey, Buck, shields high. Banning bump stocks is really just banning a firing technique. With a little practice, anyone can use the recoil of the weapon to fire like that. It really makes no sense. Love the work you do. Sincerely, James. Uh, yeah, James, I know that you can, you can create a bump fire effect by looping uh, the, by using your belt loop and firing it that way. So that there, there are ways to do this um, that don't involve a piece of plastic. And remember, that is, that is what has been banned here. A piece of plastic is now an illegal thing to own. I think that should be troubling for everyone. I mean, when the government can make something that is an, an inanimate object that is very easy to, uh, to make and is, is in and of itself not dangerous to anyone, when they can make that a felony to possess that, uh, that is that is troubling. James writes, hey, Buck, I have two possible solutions to the wall. Hand it to the Army Corps of Engineers, fund it with the military budget, or sell government bonds to fund it. Let people willingly pay for it. If it's going to save the government money in the long run, they can pay the bonds back. Um, hmm. The Army Corps of Engineers certainly could do it, but I think that there are, there are issues with how it would actually uh, get how you could transfer over funds to use for that purpose. So I, I would say that's that's something to uh, to keep in mind and think about. I mean, it's not as simple as just, well, we're going to spend the money on this. Congress has to appropriate it for certain purposes. But you know, nobody really knows, and except for the people who work in Congress, how these budget processes and how the appropriations really go. It's uh, kind of an arcane and down-in-the-weeds process. So... Uh, that's, that's what I've got for you on that for now, my friend. Uh, let's see what else do we have here? Tim writes, Buck, I'm listening to Ben Shapiro and he just blamed you for the Syrian pullout. He said this was not driven by Nikki, Pom uh, Nikki, uh, Haley, Pompeo, Bolton, and Mattis who are all against it, but the president must be listening to Buck and the dictator of Turkey. <laughs> Good job, Buck. He, he referred to you as a big headed fellow Tucker. Uh, well, my head is large, so there's nothing I can do about that. It is a it is a serious cranium 
Um, I think Ben was probably referring to a Twitter exchange that we had earlier where I said, look, we, we've got to deal with this this concept of endless war. I, I, I'm not reading the tweet exactly, but a concept of endless war. And uh, Ben, ben uh, d- didn't like that idea. And I just said, look, Afghanistan, there is no let's not delude ourselves. The policy is to be there forever. I've been told that by four-star generals. I was told that by four-star generals 10 years ago when I was in Afghanistan. The policy is to be there forever. So if you want to keep U.S. troops there forever, then that's fine, but that should be the argument. And in Syria, remember, a pullout from Syria is not the same as the pullout from Iraq because we have 5,000 troops in Iraq next door. And as long as we maintain security guarantees for the Kurds vis-a-vis the Turks— uh, which wouldn't require very much. I mean, it probably would just require leaving some special forces teams uh, there and letting the Turks know we still have some guys. Because remember, I mean, there's a difference between having a few thousand people and having a few dozen people um, that are working with allies in the front lines. We have special forces that are deployed in places all over the world that nobody ever thinks about because they just don't know about it or because the footprint is light enough. Um, but we we do have a debt of honor to the uh, to the Kurds, and I don't think that we should just leave them high and dry and allow the Turks to pound them with aerial bombardment, uh, that would be uh, that would be bad, bad conduct on our, on our part. Uh, and I understand the irritation with that. That said, we have no future. And this is and I, I offered to Ben to call into the show, by the way, or, or you know, I would call into his show. I don't care. We could have this discussion. And he, he didn't respond. Um, but there is no future for a permanent forward operating base for U.S. forces in Syria. Uh, The Assad regime has won the Syrian civil war. People who keep saying the vacuum is going to be filled by Iran and Russia, the vacuum has already been filled. It was filled in the Obama years. Uh, Us having a light footprint along with some Kurds does not, in fact, prevent Russia and Iran from using the region as a forward operating base for all kinds of operations because they're already doing that. Um, And what we really don't want to have is us getting pulled in the middle of a regional conflict, which is increasingly likely the longer we stay. There's a lot of complexity in these issues. And I think people of of goodwill and of, uh, you know, serious minds uh, can can differ on it. Uh, And uh, while I appreciate Ben's reference to me being a big headed Tucker like fellow, um, I would appreciate even more if you wanted to call into the show sometime and, and discuss this issue in a way where we could probably get to some worthwhile conclusions. Uh, and I could tell him about my time in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and what I draw from that and, and how that affects my thinking about these issues now. Um, let's go to Nathaniel, who writes, Yo, Buck, shields high, brother. This Syria withdrawal is rather curious. I'm speculating one of two things. Either we are certain that the Kurds and Syrian Democrat forces have the capability to keep any ISIS resurgence at bay, or this is a tactic to draw ISIS out, uh, meaning their ideology is based on land ownership. So fake a vacuum, see if they establish territory as a way to draw them out and use that opportunity to finish them. Any thoughts on this being a head fake? Nathaniel, I don't think it's a head fake, um, but it's, uh, I, I hate being the person that just says it's a complicated situation, but um, I, I think that the president is trying to shake up the uh, current paradigm, which is just the continuation of a U.S. force presence everywhere we go. So that's where I think we are. Um, I, you know, meaning that once we've deployed troops, it's very, very hard to ever just say we're not going to have troops there anymore. I'm going to uh, come back with some closing thoughts for the year, team. Stay with me.
Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Man, I feel like we probably shouldn't close out 2018 with Muzak of Oh, Christmas tree. But uh, nonetheless, here we are. You know, every year around this time, because it's the holidays and I have my uh, Christmas obviously coming up, just like the rest of you, and also my birthday, which for those who don't know is December 28th. I will be 37 years young which feels like uh, feels like quite a ways, um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna be with family and uh, and with Miss Molly for the holiday. But this is where I have to take a couple of minutes to just say uh, that with all of the change that I have had in the last really eight years since I got into media, and with certainly the changes of the last couple of years, leaving the Blaze, going to national radio syndication, and then spending some time at CNN, where I was uh, ritually uh, ambushed and and abused for the amusement of Democrats, and then uh, leaving and starting at the Hill with this uh, new Hill TV venture. The one constant that has always kept me getting up every day, staying up late at night, um, reading as much as I can, doing as much research as I can, and just giving it my all, are all of you, the people who listen, to this show. Uh, I have a tremendous gratitude, uh, respect, and affection for all of you who might refer to as, as Team Buck, although you're just the team. You're the people that listen to the show and that give me a reason for doing the show. And uh, I've learned a lot from all of you over the years. Uh, you have been there to support me during some really incredibly uh, difficult, challenging professional and personal times. And it's just such a privilege, honestly, every day to get to talk to all of you. And and I do cherish it each day. I will say the one thing that I always look forward to is doing this radio show and getting to speak to all of you across the country, those of you who listen on your local station or those who listen on podcast. Um, it, it really is uh, an incredible gift to have this platform and to share thoughts and, and this experience, uh, this ongoing intellectual and and honestly, um, spiritual exchange that goes on with this radio show on a day-to-day basis. And it, it is something that, you know, and as my, my parents hear me talk about this, I know my mom gets a little, uh, gets a little misty-eyed sometimes, but it's pretty astonishing that a kid who had a speech impediment when he was in the first, second, third grade had to get special tutoring because he wasn't doing well in school had to have a special speech therapist to teach him how to sound like other people around him and not pronounce words incorrectly and even pronounce his own name, believe it or not, incorrectly, that you would fast forward to years later when I'd be able to address you here on this platform, almost 130 radio stations now across the country, I believe, carrying this show, uh, but also having been able to sit at the golden mic for Rush Limbaugh and do Sean Hannity's uh, massively successful radio show and Glenn Beck's radio phenomenon to have sat at the helm on those different of those different ships and uh, had those experiences. It's been it's been a pretty incredible pretty incredible ride. And um, this this year on my birthday, the thing I, I will be um, most happy about when I reflect back, other than my health and my family and uh, um, and you know the love that I have in my life. The thing that I am most proud of in my professional career in media, um, the one area where I always feel like 
every bit of effort is worth it and everything that I can do to um, bring entertainment and information and just connection with like-minded people across the country to this show is worth it. Uh, So thank you all so much for that. I'm excited for 2019. I have all kinds of plans in the works. Uh, There are so many things I can't even get into them right now. I also don't want to overpromise and and get ahead of myself with things that are going to take a little more time than I'd like them to, but we have a lot going on. Um, If you get a chance over the holiday to talk to people about shows they listen to, you know I always, always appreciate it if you can tell them to try downloading the Buck Sexton show. That's all I want for my birthday from all of you is to get one person who has not heard this show before to listen to the Buck Sexton show on podcast. That is my birthday request and my Christmas request. Um, You all mean a lot to me. I appreciate all the support and um, I want you to have a fantastic holiday. I'll be back with you in the new year. Shields high.